O God of the morning and of the evening, let your Holy Spirit come upon us gathered here out of love for you, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it was about in 1989 when I began to take seriously that I thought I was called to the ordained ministry. So one of the steps I took was to go to what the United Methodist Church calls licensing school. And so <clears throat> I went to licensing school at Lawn Morris College in deep East Texas behind the Pine Curtain. <laughs> and I spent more than two weeks there. And we had classes all day long, every day, even on the weekends that we were there. One of the people, one of the pastors who was teaching at one point, and I think was probably teaching the Hebrew scriptures, uh, invited us to consider the story of the prophet Jonah. And in order to do that, um, invited us to line up along a line in the room <clears throat> And if you believed that the story of Jonah was absolutely true, then you were to stand on the right side of the line. And if you believed that the story of Jonah um, is a myth, then you're to stand on the left side of the line. And if you're not sure at all, you don't know, or you believe a little of both, you're to stand in the middle. Well, I was just stunned at what happened. Stunned. Um, <clears throat> probably three quarters of the class went and stood on the right side. And I was like, ooh, wow. That's not what I thought about that story. <laughs> because I wound up on the left side, and there were maybe a handful of us and maybe two or three in the middle. I don't remember what happened after that. I, I do know that in the two weeks I was there, I grew to love the people I was with. Um, from different parts all over Texas, and um, we learned a lot, and we grew together as a community. But I was surprised at how people were understanding the Bible. <clears throat> After all, you know, I'm sure, that myths are legendary stories. Usually they concern some person or being or hero or event. And that may or may not have explanations based in fact or natural explanation. Myths always explain some practice, some rite, or some phenomenon of nature. And, um, and usually have, uh, are concerned with deities or demigods uh, and and so, in other words, let's take a, a page from the theologian Marcus Borg, who said that uh, a myth is a story that we cannot state that we know that it actually happened, but we know that it's true. That something within the story resonates as a truth for us. And I actually think that's a marvelous way to think about the story of jo Jonah. And I'll probably say Job. I've been calling him Job. <laughs> and I've been calling him Noah. But it's Jonah. 
okay? So, now, the thing about the story of Jonah is if you haven't read the whole thing, what do you think you remember most about it? That a big fish swallowed Jonah. And that's about all, I mean, especially if we don't do much Bible study beyond our uh, junior high years. You know, that a big fish, and frequently we call it a whale. Well, it doesn't say it's a whale. We've just given it that name, you know. We say a big fish swallowed Jonah. But this is much more than a fishtail, let me tell you. So hang on. Hold on to your hats. Now, an interesting thing happens in the Gospels. We're going to jump way forward from Jonah into the Gospel according to Matthew. And Jesus is teaching, and this is what happens. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the human one will be in the heart of the earth. And so our question just has to be, what is the sign of Jonah? What does that mean? When Jesus says, I will give no sign except for the sign of of Jonah. What could that possibly mean for us? And to figure out that, we have to now go back and pick up Jonah. And I'm going to tell the story because my preaching professor, who was a Hebrew scholar of the highest order, Dr. John Holbert said, if you're going to preach Jonah, you have to tell the whole story. Now, fortunately for you, it's only four chapters long (laughs) and only 48 verses. So it's one of the shorter books of the Bible. And so You can actually go and read it. And if you do, I encourage you to read it in like the New Revised Standard Version or maybe even the Message because it's more, or the Common uh, English, the Common, yeah, English Bible uh, because it's more contemporary language and it will resonate with you more. And I encourage you to read the whole thing. Uh, Dr. Holbert says that it's a hilarious story. And you know, it is pretty funny as you hear it told. So, You know, Jonah's story begins with the words, Now the word of God came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh. Now, could that be any clearer? Go at once to Nineveh. And of course, we're talking about green lights when when God says go. And God says clearly to Jonah, Go to Nineveh. Now, prophets uh, are people who typically are called by God to speak to the people on behalf of God or to speak for the people to God. And so with this little thing right in the very beginning of this story, we, get, we come to understand that Jonah is actually one in the lineage of prophets because God has called and said, go. Now, a lot of prophets are reluctant prophets, but most of them go when they're called. Now, what we don't know is the history 
behind this story. And the history is that Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, who were the sworn enemies of the Hebrew people and had been the sworn enemies of the Hebrew people. You can read about it all through the Hebrew scriptures since the beginning. Very early in the story of the Hebrew people, they come under attack and uh, are oppressed by the Assyrians. And the Hebrew people hated, no, maybe despised is a better word. And Jonah would share these feelings of his people. And so when God says, go to Nineveh, well, you know, Noah goes down to the seashore and buys a ticket to Tarshish. Jonah, what, who did I say? Noah. Noah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Y'all keep helping me, okay? Help me, help me, help me. So Jonah goes down to the seashore and buys a ticket to Tarshish, which is far, far away from the direction he's supposed to be going. And we think that it may have even been Spain. Now, you know, you have to wonder why is Jonah <laughs> is so anxious to get away? Well, we'll tell you that in a minute. But the story then tells us that Jonah gets on this ship and it's pagan people who have all their own gods that are on this ship with him. And, and so they go out into the sea and God sends a great wind that then begins to threaten the ship to break it apart. <clears throat> and so in the meantime, Jonah goes down into the, into the cargo hold of the ship and goes to sleep. Jonah goes to sleep on the ship. And then the captain comes down and wakes him up and says, do you not care that we're dying up here? Come on, come on up here. And then the sailors cast lots to figure out who is it that's causing the problem, and it falls to Jonah, right? And so, and this part we heard Mike read, that, <clears throat> so they say, well, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? that you would cause, and why would you do this, that would cause this? And, and Jonah responds, I am a Hebrew, I worship the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Which seems a little odd to me, doesn't it to you, that Jonah's running from God and yet professes that he is a Hebrew that worships the God who made the land and the sea. The sailors convince that Jonah is the problem. They first try to row back to the shore. When they can't accomplish that, they pray to their gods, and then ultimately they pray to Jonah's god, Yahweh, and pick up Jonah and throw him into the sea. And then the story says, the, one, the part that we all know, right, that God sends a great fish who swallows Jonah whole. No nibbling, just swallows Jonah whole. Now, Jonah is three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And at the end of that time, he prays a prayer, fascinating prayer, uh, because it's full of inaccuracies. The first thing he says is, 
Yahweh, you threw me into the deep. Well, Yahweh didn't do that. <laughs> and then he prays, I am driven away from your presence. Well, he's the one that got on the boat. He didn't do, God didn't do that. But, oh well. It's pure hypocrisy, the whole prayer. And so it's so bad that the fish throws him up <laughs> on the shore. I mean, throws him up in whole cloth on the shore. When Jonah realizes that he's not doing a very good running, doing very well running from God and can't escape God, he decides to go to Nineveh. Now, he gets to Nineveh and he stands on a street corner and preaches that they better get their act together because in 40 days, if they don't repent, God will destroy them. And lo and behold, the Ninevites repent. All of them. They put on sackcloth. They offer prayers. Even down to the very last cow. They, the scripture says, even down to the very last cow, all of the Ninevites repent. Well, as the story goes, you would think that the prophet of God, Jonah, might be pleased that what God does is grants them mercy because of their repentance. And you would think, I mean, most preachers, most preachers would be really glad if everybody repented after they preached, right? I mean, that we convinced people and changed their lives and they were transformed. Well, it doesn't work that way because preachers don't do the transforming. God does, right? But um, Jonah's not happy. Remember I told you that the Assyrians are the greatest enemies of the Hebrew people. And so Jonah is furious about this. And that's the answer to why he didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want God to have a change of heart toward these Assyrians, the enemies of the Hebrew people. Whatever Jonah is thinking, he now wishes he was dead. And, and here's, here's the answer. That is why I fled to Tarshish in the beginning, for I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. In short, Jonah would rather be dead than worship with any Ninevites. Y'all don't know anybody like that, do you? <laughs> now, if you're having trouble understanding this, Think right now about the people of Ukraine and how they feel toward the people of Russia. Maybe you've heard some interviews with people saying, I will never, ever, ever, ever be okay with the Russians, right? That anger, that fear, that, that disgust, that, you know, I'm not worshiping with them. That kind of intense... Uh, feeling of despising people whole, whole as a whole. Now, after all this happens, Jonah wanders away from God again, wanders out to the outside of the city wall and sits up there kind of in a desert place and builds himself a, 
a little shack that he can get a little shade from. And so God um, has mercy on Jonah and causes a small plant to grow up to shade him from the heat. And Jonah loves a plant, which is the only thing Jonah has loved other than himself. And then God, the next day, appoints a worm that destroys a plant and then sends a hot wind, and Jonah begs God to let him die. And God says, now hear this, you cared for a bush that grew and died in one night. Should I, Yahweh, not care for Nineveh? the vast city where there are more than 120,000 people unaware from wrong and right, not to mention those cows. That's what it says. (laughs) And so ends the story. So what are we, 21st century postmodern Americans, to make of this? The truth is, we're a lot like Jonah, aren't we? When God says go, even when God gives us a green light, we often will find a way to turn the other way. When I finally decided to apply to go to seminary, with God's call ringing in my ears, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to apply to three seminaries. And if I don't get accepted, and if they don't offer me financial aid, then I'll know that I'm not supposed to go. How many deals like that have you made with God? Right? You've you've set up the situation, right? So you don't have to answer or respond to God's call, right? You know, (laughs) I was accepted to all three, and they all three offered me financial aid. Now Now what am I supposed to do? If ever there was a green light, that was it. And still, I waited another full year before I went. We, too, pray hypocritical prayers, don't we? In, in our words to God, we say, well, you know, please bless these people who have been so rude and ugly. Or not. <laughs> you know, don't we, in the back of our minds, have our little words that we add to our prayers, much like Jonah, that they're a little bit hypocritical? I do. I pray sometimes like that. Strike them down! (laughs) You know? And we, too, hold great anger against others that we could not believe for a moment they could be transformed, changed, and more importantly, that God would love them have mercy on them and redeem them. Of course, there are people who feel the very same way about us, right? We too get angry and furious even at God that things don't go the way we think they should go and God doesn't act the way we think God should. Fortunately for us and others, this story isn't so much about Jonah or us. It's about God. Remember? Our God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and loves the whole world, which is what this story is about. 
even the Assyrians, even the Gentiles, even the Russians, even the whole of the cosmos. So what then do you think is the sign of Jonah that Jesus speaks of? Now, if we were Hebrew people hearing this story told in Jesus' day, we would know the sign of Jonah. Jonah is found sleeping in the cargo hold of the ship while a storm rages. Sound familiar? Jonah is awakened with the pleadings to save us. Sound familiar? Gentiles failed in their efforts to save Jonah. Think, think Pontius Pilate who said, I find no case against him. The sailors cast lots to determine who has created the problem. The soldiers cast lots, too, at the foot of a cross. When Jonah was thrown into the sea, it immediately went calm. When Jesus speaks, the same things happen. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, and Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days. The allusions to Jesus in this story that the followers of Jesus heard in the story. They would have, the story stands on it, its own as a story of the Hebrew people but, and the Hebrew God, but the people of Jesus' day would have heard in the story of Jonah allusions about Jesus. They're pretty obvious, aren't they? But what is the sign of Jonah of which Jesus speaks? Well, it's all about that fish three days and three nights. It's the Paschal mystery. We live, we die, we live again. It is the most important story of our lives. And this truth, this mystery is for all of us, not some of us, all of us, because this is the truth about God. Now, I'd like to think, and in fact, I do think, that the portrait of God in Jonah is closer to what God is really like. And I may be wrong in that, how I'm processing that, of course, but um, our diverse Bible demands that we employ wisdom when we read it, that we keep asking, where is God in this, and how is God acting, and how are we to understand that and then act in kind? If we keep reading the Bible, it will remind us that we will sense how God is present in our here and now. But I think I'm right about the portrait of God in Jonah and in the life of Jesus, that the sign of Jonah is about this paschal mystery. So with apologies to Cahil Gibran, I will read the poem that Nan read so beautifully again. It is said that before entering death, we tremble with fear. We look back at the path we've traveled, the long winding road, and in front of us we see a void so vast that to enter there seems nothing more than to disappear forever. But there is no other way back. We cannot go back. Nobody can go back. To go back is impossible in existence. So we need to take the risk of entering into death because only then will fear disappear because that's where we will know it's not about disappearing into death but of becoming one with God. This is the truth of the story of Jonah. And this is our truth. That in life, we will have many little deaths that we will emerge from 
into new life. And all of that is designed to prepare us for the great death in which we will emerge into new life in the love of God. So when God says go, go. Amen? Amen.